The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm so glad that you could join me today, especially if you're trying to stay healthy. I know it's been tough over this past year of quarantine and dealing with this pandemic, and a lot of people have put on what they're calling the quarantine 15 and just not really eating very well. You know, it's hard. I I get it. It's hard to stay healthy. So today we're going to be talking about the importance of keeping our gut healthy, which is really important, and the use of probiotics and other superfoods to balance and restore our microbiome. What is that, you're wondering? We have a whole microbial community that works to keep us healthy, and it's crucial that we keep this functioning at an optimal level. So I'm excited about my guest today, and he's going to shed some light on this and share ways that we can use things like aloe vera and other natural remedies to help us heal our microbiome. So my guest today is Dr. Michael Haley, and he's the owner and physician at Agape Chiropractic in Pompano Beach, Florida, in my home state of Florida. So it'll be nice to check in with him. And he's the owner and operator of Haley Nutrition, and they're makers and distributors of 100% raw aloe vera gel health drinks and personal care products. And he's an expert on phytonutrition and superfoods. So I'd like to welcome you to the show, Dr. Haley. Thanks for being available. Diane, thank you so much. I love what you're doing and honored to be able to speak to your audience. Well, I think the Unity Radio folks are going to be really interested in what you have to say because I know they're really interested in in trying to stay healthy and, and keeping our bodies working at the optimal level. Um, You know, what's interesting is that a lot of people don't understand how important it is to keep our guts healthy. And we're thinking like, what, what does that mean? You know, when you're talking about gut health, so maybe you can enlighten us a little bit on, you know, some of the information that's come out about that and why it's so important for us to have, it seems weird to say a gut, healthy gut. (laughs) How does that work? You know, I'm, I'm hoping not only to help people understand the importance of it, but even those that already know the importance of it, I'm hoping to flip a switch and make it all the more important with a much deeper understanding. And I think I can do that in a relatively interesting way as we talk about the microbiome and its importance. And, you know, people have referred to the gut as the second brain. You've heard that, yes? Yes, absolutely. And well, what does that mean? Is, the, is it sort of like a brain that controls and coordinates all of the functions of our body? You know, in a sense, maybe even more so, because our brains are actually really relying on the chemistry and the nutrition that feeds it. And they are, our brains are tremendously affected by the chemistry that comes from our guts. In fact, if we were to oversimplify that for a moment, we might say, hey, Diane, imagine if you and I decided to have a nice big glass of wine or a couple shots of whiskey or something like that. That chemistry that entered our digestive system, absorbed through our guts into the bloodstream, affects our brains within seconds. Yes, there's so much more going on than just what we put in our bodies and that instant chemistry because this micro, this microbiome the these uh, and what's a microbiome you know it's bacteria right well it's more than that it's fungus it's worms it's protozoa you know there's all kinds of little itty bitty microscopic critters that are changing what we eat turning it into really chemistry that can be used by our bodies. It's funny because we all always thought that we were taught that we digest the food, but really they do and they prepare it for us 
turning it into this chemistry. And then they also, you know, some of them die off and that changes the chemistry in our bodies and that can have some, you know, hard effects. And it, there's so much going on. So hopefully in this discussion, as we talk about the microbiome and how it affects the chemistry, we'll really understand what we can do to nurture it and create a healthy environment so our bodies can work and our brains can work to their optimal potential. Well, what I, one of the things I think that's so interesting about this is that in reading about the microbiome and how it works in that whole system, that in addition to all of that uh, bacteria that you were talking about, you know, the, the friendly flora and all that stuff that, that's living within us, in addition to where we're thinking about food, you know, digesting food, what I was reading is that the microbiome also helps us process thought and emotion so much so that it is what you called the second brain. And I was hoping you could touch a little bit on that. I mean, how does that really work to affect us emotionally with our thoughts and feelings? Let's take it outside of the body first and then bring it back into the body to make more sense of it. Meaning in this world, there's some kind of communication that happens. And believe it or not, it's, it's happening even in the soil. Let's look at dirt outside. Things grow in the dirt. Trees, crops, plants, weeds. And they're absorbing from the soil or from the dirt. <laughs> I think there's a difference between dirt and soil, much like an unhealthy gut and then a nutrient-rich gut. So what's the difference? Inside that dirt should be lots of life bacteria, protozoa and fungus and, you know, things like mushrooms are growing on the earth's surface. And, and you see, you know, worms, worm castings happen to be some of the richest soil that you can get. What is that? It's matter, carbon matter, organic matter that has passed through a worm coming out the other end. The bacteria are doing that on a smaller level. The protozoa are doing that. And as we work up the chain from small bacteria to protozoa to fungus to larger critters like worms, and then things eat the worms and poop them out, and things eat the things that ate the worms, you know, maybe birds eat the worms and animals eat the birds, you know, everything is essentially consuming and pooping. And that's actually what makes the dirt healthy and usable by the crops. But what happens in farming is we want to get rid of things like bugs and fungus and weeds because we just want to grow crops. Uh, not really, but that seems to be, you know, conventional farming thought processes. So they're spraying forms of antibiotics on the crops. What I mean, antibiotic, anti-against bio life. Uh, an herbicide is against weeds. A pesticide is against pests. A fungicide is against fungus. Not that they know the difference between these things. They're really chemicals designed to kill, and they're killing the soil and the things that are in them, turning the dirt into good nutrition for the roots that are sinking into it, trying to absorb nutrients. Now, with the dead dirt, that's why farmers are using fertilizers, because they have to put nutrients into the soil. Let's take that right back. Oh, and getting back with that communication thing, it's believed that the fungus, that fungus is the actually connected in the soil, creating a communication network, like an underground communication network for the soil. Bring that back into the body now. It's the same thing. We're eating food, and hopefully we're making it easier to use for the bacteria and the protozoa and the worms and the funguses that are inside us. Hopefully we're chewing it really good. And in our mouths, there are these digestive enzymes that start breaking down the fruits and vegetables and whatever type of foods you're eating into something that's usable 
for them. Some people just take big bites and swallow it. You're really not doing your microbiome any favors that way. I think of that uh, hot dog eating contest where they just shove them in their mouth and swallow right. them and, you know, <laughs> right. uh, 30 or 40 in a matter of a few minutes. Okay, we can't eat like that. You're not doing your microbiome a, flavor, a favor. Then as you chew this and you swallow it, that becomes the usable nutrition for the microbiome that is essentially turning it into this slimy biofilm where the roots of our bodies, our intestines, are sinking into that soil, absorbing it so it can be used by our bodies. You know, the the intestines have these folds in them to increase the surface area for this slimy soil. And they have these things that project out of them called villi. And coming perpendicular to the villi are these microvilli. And perpendicular to the microvilli are these hairs, these fine hairs, reaching into the soil to absorb, much like the root of a tree which has primary roots and branches off that of secondary roots and branches off that with tertiary roots and these fine hairs on the tertiary roots sinking into the soil of the earth. We're really much like the trees sinking into that soil. Now, just like farmers using chemicals making the soil dead, the question is, is what kind of chemicals are you consuming? If you're consuming farmed food that used chemicals, you have those same antibiotic type things in you that doesn't know the difference and can damage your microbiome, your microflora, your bacteria, your, you know, fungus and all those things that are supposed to be growing in your intestines working for your good. We're killing those off. Almost like taking antibiotics and wiping out our guts. That right. is a problem. And maybe you can say uh, or explain to the listeners, like if, what would people be experiencing when things are just really out of whack? I mean, not only the obvious, like, you know, indigestion or heartburn and things like that. I mean, are there other symptoms that people can suffer from when, you know, this microbiome is just really unbalanced? You know, that's a great question. And as you're asking it, I'm thinking of the kids that really don't complain about heartburn and acid reflux or, you know, upset stomachs, but you give them the wrong kind of food and their personality changes rather instantly. You know, I, I think about, uh, you know, when our kids would go to church and they'd give them, you know, at, at Sunday school, all kinds of, you know, cookies and things with sugar. And then all of a sudden they're all hyped up and they're different people. <laughs> Somehow it changes who they are. It affects their personalities. It affects their minds. So that would probably be the first thing that we can pay attention to is how we feel and act. Are you on edge? Are you edgy? Are you, you know, unable to focus, having a hard time with your thought processes? Or are you feeling very lucid and attentive and aware of your surroundings? Are you crashing? Are you low energy? Or are you high energy and you get to the end of the day and you're still looking for things to do? Kind of like, oh, I, I just not, I'm not ready to turn in. I have too much energy. There's a difference in real fuel, good food in a proper functioning microbiome and bad fuel in a very dead or out of balance microbiome. So far before the symptoms of acid reflux and, you know, diarrhea <laughs> or constipation, um, I think we're going to notice changes in our personality, in our energy levels, in our moods. And it might not start with digestive issues, your symptoms, your physical symptoms after the mental emotional issues might be headaches or, you know, body pains. It might be quite some time before you actually have a hard time with bowel functions. Right. So kind of circling back around to the, the second brain comment, you know, that you made at, at the beginning of the show, 
um, I just think it's so interesting how all of it ties together, you know, like mind, body, and spirit that your, your emotions, your feelings are, are really affected the way, the way that you act, like you had mentioned, you know, hyperactivity in kids and that kind of thing. And people can even suffer real depression, right. From this kind of imbalance. You know, it's funny because the medical profession will sometimes look at that and say, you have a chemical imbalance and they want to affect your chemistry with medications to alter your chemistry. But what is chemistry? It's really the byproducts of the things that happen in your gut and other things. Uh, your your chemistry is affected by things like sleep. You know, when you rest, your your chemistry, especially in things like your spinal fluids, changes. Uh, laughter can change your chemistry. And, you know, anyone that's been in a good emotional fight knows that that could be extremely draining on your energy level because your chemistry changes. So not only is the food affecting our chemistry, but it can, you know, when we exercise, uh, lactic acid build up in the muscles. Well, that's a chemistry change. And exercise will also affect things like hormone levels, as will sleep affect hormone levels. It's all chemistry. The number one thing we can do is probably have our microbiome White, like it's supposed to be. Nourish that. Right. Instead of, like you said, uh, adding more more chemistry to the mix, you know, more outside medications and things like that, that people depend on when really so much healing can take place by healing your microbiome, changing your diet, you know, making those shifts. And then you'll be surprised, you know, at how much better that you feel. And you had mentioned antibiotics. Like we know when you take that, you know, it kind of wipes everything out, the good and the bad. I mean, what are some of the other medications that can affect this? I mean, would antidepressants and things like that uh, cause problems? You know, any chemistry can throw our chemistry out of balance or alter our internal chemistry. And I'm not saying that, you know, all medications are bad, but generally, if you step back and look at it and you say, okay, let's say that I was a 100% perfect health. Is there a single medicine out there that can make me more healthy? Now, the obvious answer is if you have perfect health and you take medicine, you can only become less healthy, not more healthy. So how can giving medicine to an unhealthy person make them more healthy? It can't. It can buy time. It can change a symptom. But ultimately, when it comes to getting our, our physicality, our mental, emotional, our chemistry back, it's up to the changes that, that we make. We have to, if we're going to use medicine, use that to buy time to figure out what you need to do to make changes so you don't need the medicine anymore. You know, I, I've heard it well said that, uh, you know, if you took all the medicine and, and threw it into the ocean, it would be good for mankind. Bad for the fish. <laughs> but <laughs> That's true. Now, who said that? <laughs> I, I think it was uh, one of the Palmers, uh, one of the first chiropractors back in the 50s. Oh, okay. And, and, and there's truth to that. It's not that all medicine is bad. It's that we've become used to looking for health in a bottle, and it's a false sense of security. It's not where health comes from. And we can use it to alter something. Uh, you know, I don't like pain. And, and pain can create negative emotions that create negative chemistry. And pain relief at times might be beneficial. So using medicine at the right times might be helpful. At the same time, I rarely take pain medications. I've had surgeries and use them to get through the surgery. And then the doctors write you prescriptions and I've never filled them because I seem to not be experiencing that much pain after the surgery. There's no way I could have went through it without the medicine that they had for me. And I'm glad they put me back together. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of stepping back and saying, okay, do I need this or do I not need this? What's going to be the real effects on my health? And how long will I need this for? What can I do so I don't need it that long anymore? How can right. I change things? And that's kind of how I look at chemistry. 
Well, here's an example of just something that I've experienced, you know, over the past few years. So I had been dealing with, you know, a lot of uh, heartburn, you know, like on a daily basis. So for a long time, every day, I would pop one of those uh, Prilosex. And so it got to be where I was, I was doing this every day for like for years, for two years. And, you know, I didn't realize you know, the damage that, that I was doing and I had to kind of wean myself off it to stop taking those acid reducers. And I think a lot of people are in the same boat where you just get used to doing it and you, you know, you're popping them. I mean, I was buying them in bulk, you know, at Costco, like the cheap Omaprazole and getting it by like the six pack. So a lot of people that are out there who may be doing it and they're saying, okay, well, I'm feeling good. I'm not having acid reflux anymore. I'm just taking one of these pills every day. But explain like what I found out, the, the damage that you can do, like you're saying, not to rely on on stuff like that, on medication, which may be helpful in the beginning because it was, you know, I would right. take it and I'd feel great, but over time it was causing more problems. Yeah. So I would say, okay, great. Now that you're feeling better and you can actually sit down and, and focus and do some research, figure it out so that you don't rely on that because you want to get off of that and you want to be truly healed, not just masking a symptom. You know, that's how I would look at it personally. It's not a bad thing. I'm glad there was some relief for you. But how are we going to fix this issue now? And, you know, for me, one of the, my main job in life is coaching people back to health through food. And we don't know if you actually had too much acid or just the wrong diet and not the right microbiome. But we would want to take a look at your food and say, OK, first. Which foods make you feel good and which foods make you feel bad? And, you know, Dr. Natasha McBride, author of The Gaps Diet, figured out a pretty good way to figure that out. You know, she would essentially take everything away from you and say, OK, let's start with a very simple food that everyone tolerates well, like bone stock soup. And you can have as much as you want to meet your nutritional needs and consume that for, you know, three or four days if you have to till your symptoms even out. And then let's start building on that diet. Maybe, uh, you know, when everything's evened out and you're saying, hey, I feel pretty good. Well, we don't want to live on bone stock for the rest of our life. So let's add cauliflower to the mix. And okay, things stayed good. All right, let's try adding broccoli tomorrow. Uh, okay, things are still good. Let's add and, you know, maybe you throw in some potatoes and things don't go so well. Oh, boy, maybe my body's having a hard time with these starches. Okay, take that out. And because your body isn't doing well with potatoes, what was the symptom when you had the potatoes? I don't know. Maybe your energy changed. Maybe you had acid reflux or that heartbeat, heartburn, but whatever it was, you know, it didn't work for you. So you take it out and try the next food and you start building your diet that way, knowing what's changed. Now, what you don't do is say, okay, well, let me try pizza today. Oh, I didn't feel good. Okay. Was it the wheat? Was it the cheese? Was it the tomatoes? Was it the meat that was on it? You know, too many things all at once. We don't know what caused you not to feel well. But you can build your diet and learn what foods make you feel good. I know what foods make me feel good. And I try to eat them, not because I really enjoy eating them, not because they are absolutely delicious. In fact, sometimes it gets a little old. I, I do like avocados. But, you know, I can eat three or four of them a day and that gets old after a while. But I feel real good and I'd rather feel good than have the pleasure of eating something that is really delicious. And, oh, I'm having I, I really love ice cream. Oh, I don't feel good anymore, though, an hour later. or I don't sleep good that night or my joints hurt the next day. I'd rather eat something that I'd less enjoy but feel better. Right, right. And so it's really trial and error a lot of times and having that awareness of what is affecting you. And also I've noticed, you know, as I've gotten older, <laughs> and that I hate to admit this, but, you know, the foods and things that you enjoyed in your 20s and 30s, by the time you get in your 40s and 50s, you know, your body's changed. And, you know, I can't tolerate uh, the red sauce or pasta, things that I really loved, pizza which I, I still like occasionally, but I certainly can't eat them the way I did before. 
Yeah. And that's why I like to look at the kids too. Like we, met, we talked about earlier, you know, you, you, they don't necessarily have symptoms, but their personalities change, <laughs> you know, uh, we have symptoms. We can be sensitive, you know, mentally, emotionally, energetically, and know what affects us that way. But we being older tend to have more symptoms too. And those are, you know, definite indicators. It's funny because when we start eating the foods that make us feel good, our microbiome is usually getting healthier and improving. We can actually use the knowledge that we have that nurtures the microbiome. For instance, in building that diet, I jumped to potatoes. I probably wouldn't have done that. There's other foods that are simple that would come before the potatoes in building a healthy, very tolerable diet that are more nurturing to your microbiome. Well, let's take a short break here, and I want to pick that up after the break and really get into some of the superfoods and some of the things that you advocate with your patients, including aloe vera gel, which I never realized that even you could drink, and and I guess you can. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. I'm Diane Ray. Thanks for tuning in today on UnityOnlineRadio.org. We'll be right back. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me after the break. I'm Diane Ray talking to my guest today, Dr. Michael Haley, and he's the owner and physician at Agape Chiropractic in Pompano Beach, Florida, and also the owner and operator of Haley Nutrition, and he's an expert on phytonutrition and superfoods, the microbiome, and keeping us gut healthy. So uh, in the last uh, segment, we were talking a little bit more about food and diet, and I was complaining about my heartburn and that kinds of thing, <laughs> those kinds of things. So I wanted to pick that up a little bit and talk some more about um, you know, when you work with people and you're trying to identify, you know, foods that people are having a reaction to and things that are throwing your your microbiome off. I mean, I think it's so interesting, like we were saying, how things change as you age, you know, and as your body changes and tolerates different things. I mean, do you advocate um, I know you had mentioned bone broth earlier. Do you advocate vegetarian or vegan or kind of a combination of both? Or or do you see some people thriving on that kind of diet and others not? I'm kind of curious about that. That's a great question and definitely an area of de debate for a lot of people. Um, it can be done on a, on a vegan diet, but you do want to know what you're doing. And, you know, I remember being learning from Gabriel Cousins even, who I believe is a raw vegan. And, but he was essentially also as a medical doctor saying, this isn't something you just do. Don't just say, oh, you know, I, I think this is the best, healthiest diet. So I'm going to choose to be a raw vegan and only eat raw fruits and vegetables from now on. And you miss important nutrients like, for instance, if I was to move away from it, I do consume animal foods, um, not as much as other people might. And I'm very selective of my animal foods. Uh, when it comes to dairy, I prefer things like kefir, which is a very cultured and broken down, kind of pre-digested in a sense. If I consume eggs, I prefer, you know, truly pastured from wild chickens, not chickens that are just outdoors being fed from a bag, but truly wild where they really eat their surroundings, their the, the, the bugs, the leaves, the, the things that are growing around them. So I'm very selective in that, but everybody's different. Some people thrive on more protein. Some people thrive on more fat and some people thrive on carbohydrates. We, you know, come from 
different peoples from different parts of the world and our ancestors ate certain diets and the genes that kind of you know work for those particular diets were passed on to us i happen to come from uh, an italian family and i have no problem with wheat in fact i could probably snort gluten and be just fine <laughs> no problem there right um and but i know other people you know if there was a crumb of something that had gluten in it mistakenly hidden in their salad you know that could just ruin them for the next couple of weeks so we're all different and right. i don't think that any one diet is the best you know when it comes to diets it's funny because you're never going to find two dietitians to agree on anything but then again we all have our different purposes too. One person might be coaching, trying to give the best diet for uh, maybe bodybuilding and putting on the best show. Another person, it might be for, oh, you know, being a athletic swimmer. Another person for fighting cancer. Uh, an anti-cancer diet is a very different diet. It's a very detoxing, cleansing diet where initially you're probably going to lose serious weight. That's not a survival of the fittest diet. It might be the healthiest diet for what you need at this point in detoxifying and cleansing and strengthening your immune system and healing. So would you say that you really advocate that people find what works best for them, you know, really do the research. Um, like you were saying, I mean, I have a friend that has been a vegan for, you know, gosh, going on like 25 years. He's the healthiest guy I know. He's in his sixties. He looks like he's 40 and you know, he loves it. And, and I know other people who have tried to go vegan and have not had that much success, or they said that they lost a lot of energy or that kind of thing. So I mean, I do think it, it can be very individual and maybe people might want to try it and see how, how it works for them. But, you know, we're bombarded with so much information these days, like there's paleo, keto, all that stuff. I mean, when people come to you, how do you sift through all of that, you know, fad diet or trendy information and find things yeah. that work? Yeah. And it's funny because people lean towards those diets for certain reasons. Um, take keto, for instance. Some people really thrive on fats. I happen to be one of those people. I love um, olive oil, avocados, coconut oil, and those kinds of things keep my energy very steady. I don't have the ups and downs that I would have of eating something like potatoes, a starch. So for me, that works very well. Um, I'm not running around with a breathalyzer making sure I'm in ketosis. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> the there's, yeah, or being on the strips, you know, I, I, I'm eating foods that would lend towards that. And, you know, I would probably go in and out of ketosis, you know, one day I might be in it and the other day mildly or not at all. But those foods tend to keep me even keel. Uh, someone that is paleo might have an emphasis on traditional foods. And I think that has its place. I think that we need to consider traditionally what have we consumed. I like Jordan Rubin. He he looks at things from a from three different perspectives primarily. One is a biblical approach, uh, being I believe he's a messianic Jew. So he looks at the Hebrew scriptures and says, okay, it says eat this, but don't eat that. And I do think those things were written for our benefit and is a good guideline of these happen to be healthier foods. And the ones that are not allowed tend to be less healthy. Pork is probably less healthy than beef and beef is allowed. But he wouldn't stop there. He would say, okay, if you're eating beef, just because the scriptures allow it, you know, what is that animal eating? Because traditionally, those animals were out in the fields. And, you know, we have grass-fed beef, but guess what? 
there's a legal definition of grass-fed, and then there's reality. You know, the legal definition, if it spent half its life in the field, okay, what if it's that the first six months and we fatten it up to about, you know, well, it grows to, say, 600 pounds, and then we grain-feed it and fatten it to 1,300 pounds before sending it to the market. That's not grass-fed, but it's labeled grass-fed versus something that's truly out in the field. And we're not just talking about beef, but if you consume animal foods, you probably consume dairy. Well, guess what? You are what you eat. And if you're eating animal foods, you are what they ate. And if they ate wheat and antibiotics, you know, they're putting antibiotics in these animal feeds, not to treat them for their illnesses, but so they can actually be mistreated and fattened up so that they're more valuable when it comes time to sell them. Right. They have and they more do meat. that uh, more here in the States. Is that right? Like just recently I was in Mexico and I just noticed that the food seemed so much fresher. You know, it, it's, it seemed like my body reacted well to everything I ate. Great seafood. Like it seems like in Europe and other countries, they don't pump their animals full of all these different antibiotics and things like that, that we were used to here. When it comes to animal foods, I happen to order from a place in Missouri, and some of it is raised in Missouri, and some of it does come from other countries because the better, truly grass-finished animal foods do come from other countries. We don't do it well here. And then there's something else to consider. And I got actually this from Gabriel Cousins, who was talking about the fact that even your best raised farmed animals are still consuming even grass in the middle of the United States that has been affected by even Fukushima. You know, acid rain and, and chemistry pollution goes everywhere. It's affecting everything, but we can see a, me a scientific measurable difference. That was the other thing that Jordan Rubin threw in there was science, not only biblical, uh, traditional, but also science. We can see a scientific difference between uh, grass finished and grain finished. We can see a scientific difference between organic and conventional. And, you know, even if you're not good at science, you can still smell and taste and and see. And, you know, the organic fruits and vegetables, they have more color, more flavor, more aroma. What is that? That comes from nutrients. Right. And what do you think about, I mean, if you look historically, I mean, what was it like, I guess the, the fifties and sixties where the big thing was, well, let's help, let's help the housewife make things easier. We'll have this Swanson dinner. Look, TV dinners, you don't have to cook. And then this whole processed food wave started happening. And now, I mean, things, I think things are trending a little bit differently where people are more interested in cooking. You're seeing a lot more people gardening now, you know, more interest in organic food sourcing where your foods come from. But there's whole generations of people that everything's in a microwave, you know, or frozen food or processed food and that kind of thing. I mean, I think you know, that's really making us sick, right? I, I think the, you know, fact that people took on uh, farming at home in the lockdown of 2020, um, I, I do think that's probably the one good thing that came out of the lockdown. You know, people had nothing to do at home, so they started planting and growing things that they can actually eat. You know, things that were selling on the internet were things like seeds and little shoots and plants and stuff. Right. That's a very neat thing. And we should be involved in growing our own food and, and learning where real food comes from. Those TV dinners, uh, those chemical pies, you know, chemical soups. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. Processed foods, one of the things they have in them, I was talking about soil and, and the pesticides, herbicides, fungicides being forms of antibiotics. Well, most of those processed foods, even if they're organic, have preservatives in it. What's a preservative? It's another form of an anti-against bio-life antibiotic. Preservatives are in there to kill things like mold, yeast, and fungus, and bacteria. And when we're eating these preserved pies as they are going into our bodies, do they know to stop killing the microbiome? You know, we have to get 
back to real food. If it comes in a package, if you can buy it in the aisles and it can sit on the shelves for years without changing, there's a good chance that it's filled with chemistry. Not all the time. You know, there might be things like dry beans and stuff, which are really seeds that you can actually sprout and turn into a a, a, a live uh, protein, high protein meal. <laughs> but for the most part, the things in the aisles, the things in the packages are, you know, dead chemical soups. <laughs> I like when you said the the chemical pie. I think that's funny because I used to eat those, uh, not Swanson, there's another brand, I forget, <laughs> the Evil Marie Calendar. And, uh, you know, I lived on those. And when I worked in radio for years, I worked crazy hours and overnight shifts. And I ate a lot of those lean cuisines, you know, those microwave things. And I think at one point I finally just hit the wall and I looked at it. I'm like, what is this? You know, what am I eating? And I haven't had, I haven't had any of that in, in quite some time years since I've had one of those lean cuisines. And I get that they're convenient and, you know, you can throw it in your bag and eat it and that kind of thing. But there's, there's so many other ways to, um, to prep, right? I mean, you don't have to rely on that kind of stuff just for convenience. Yes, convenience uh, leads to inconvenience. It just does. Right. <laughs> and then we suffer, you know, we have all these problems in the long run. I mean, I know you're a big, um, you know, expert on superfoods and uh, something called phytonutrition. I mean, what exactly is that? What would you call phytonutrition? Is that just plant-based um, plant foods? It is, but you know the most important thing about it is the fact that there are so many more nutrients that we haven't even researched. We don't even know what they do yet. There are so many phytoplant nutrients. Um, you know, if I was to break it down, you know, as an example, there's seven classifications of phytonutrients. There might even be more than that now, but you have you know amines and and lipids and organic acids and organosulfurs and polyphenols and polysaccharides and terpenes. If we were to take one of those groups, the terpenes, we can break those down into subclassifications: chrominols, limonoids, saponins, and carotenoids. Um, well, there's literally 400 different just carotenoids. <laughs> you know, there are so many phytonutrients that we don't even know what they do. You know, the FDA, USDA, all these, you know, National Institute of Health and, you know, American Cancer Societies, they have these kind of like recommended dietary intakes, make sure you get, you know, this much vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin B, you know, and all these vitamins. That list is growing. And lots of those things originate in, you know, in plant foods. It's a matter of time before we realize that some of these lesser known understood phytochemicals might not lead to immediate disease, which is why they haven't made it to the required dietary intake, but over time cause ill health. The things that we see on the, on the vitamin panels, lacking those causes a more, a quicker ill health, which is why they're on that panel. Eventually, we learn of others that, oh, well, not having this causes that. Let's include it on the panel. So it makes more sense to just say, you know, everyone should eat at least, you know, 10 to 15 servings of fruits and vegetables, all the different colors, because the colors kind of tell us about the groups that they come from. For instance, carotenoids, we would think of carrots and oranges and also some greens and other colors. But, you know, purples like the berries, we might have some like polyphenols, very high antioxidant. The colors tell you something about their chemical makeup and what they are going to do. It's too complicated. It's too much to know. Eat fruits and vegetables representing all the colors. Now, we are discovering certain phytochemicals that have significant changes on the immune system. I happen to be a fan of a nutrient called ace mannan. Ace mannan is found in aloe vera. And scientifically, we know that ace mannan might make your macrophages secrete more tumor necrosis factor, interferon, and interleukins that essentially help your immune system identify cells that are 
cancerous or virus fragments so it knows to deal with those and eliminate them from the body. I think that's pretty significant. You know, there's nutrients in plants that have these super physiological benefits. And when we learn about them and it makes sense to consume those, you know, well, that's great knowledge. But for the most part, we don't know that much. There's too many nutrients. We haven't learned them all. Eat a little bit of all the colors. Well, that, yeah, that makes so much sense. And it's so interesting when you think about it, when you think about plants and phytonutrients, really so many of the drugs on the market, you know, going even back to aspirin, right? I mean, I think that comes originally from bark um, or something like that. Is it bark that aspirin comes from? I don't I mean, even know. <laughs> <laughs> you should know this. You're the expert on phytonutrients. <laughs> but um, you know what I mean? Like when when they're researching um, new drugs and things like that, a lot of times there will have a, a derivative or it will come from some kind of plant. And you did mention aloe, and I wanted to bring that up because your company um, makes these aloe vera products. And growing up in Florida, I mean, we had a big aloe vera plant in our yard and my mother would always use it for topical things, you know, cuts and bug bites and sunburns and things like that. And we would just break off a piece of it and, you know, kind of slice it down the middle and take the gel out and use the gel. And so I've always been familiar with using it in that form, but I never thought to drink it or ingest it. And what is so special about the aloe vera plant that you can, that you can use it for that? Like, what does it do? You know, a lot of people realize that if you put it on a sunburn, the sunburn heals quicker. And that's putting it on your skin on something you can see. But really, your intestines is skin on the inside. It's a surface that separates the external environment from the internal environment. The food that you eat has to pass through that barrier, just like things you put on your skin pass through the barrier to enter into your body. And things come out of your skin, too. Your skin is excretes, just like your your gut. It absorbs and it excretes. Well, aloe vera in there, just like it would cause your outside skin to heal faster, would cause your inside skin to heal faster. But more importantly than that, and that's why people that have irritable bowel conditions and acid refluxes and things like that seem to do better rather quickly, just like a sunburn heals faster quickly. The same thing is happening in the guts. But there's also nutrients in there that are going to benefit the immune system and not just the skin that they come in contact with on the inside, but as it's absorbed and carried to all the tissues of the body. A lot of times people will eat aloe vera or drink it for a week and look in the mirror and say, who is that person? I don't recognize myself or, you know, wow, look at my feet aren't so dry and cracked anymore. What's going on? Oh, healing from the inside out. Isn't that neat? Um, uh, you know, people are complimenting me. What are you doing? What are you using on your face? What well, you're glowing? What's happening? Oh, maybe a healthier gut on the inside is making me healthier outside besides the nutrients being carried to all the tissues of my body. And they just happen to be doing better. Right. Healing from the inside out. And so you're able to take the aloe vera, just the gel, and then um, you do you distill it or some way to make it drinkable? How do you do that? Anybody can do it. It's really easy. There's different parts of the aloe vera plant, just like a banana. You peel it and you probably don't eat the peel. And usually the outside of plants have things to kind of protect the inside and keep things like bugs and animals from from consuming it. The aloe vera is no different. In fact, some people actually use the outside of the leaf as a laxative, which I don't think is a right thing to do. I think it's a digestive irritant um, just because it makes your bowels move quicker. That's not necessarily a good thing. Other things would do that too that aren't good for your gut. But the inside, the inside has this healing gel in it. And, you know, when you were young and you cut up the aloe leaf and you put it on you, you probably noticed there was like this yellow sappy stuff on the outside. And if you eat that, it's extremely bitter. So we would actually take the skin off and get rid of all that yellow stuff that is so bitter and just consume the inner gel, which shouldn't have any taste really at all. 
And whether you're biting into it, it kind of has a weird texture. I don't recommend that. I recommend you take that filet, and they call it a filet because it looks just like a fish filet, only it's a plant filet. You take that slimy gel and stick it in a blender, a low-speed blender, because it will foam up because it is a thick gel. And if you do foam it up, no big deal. Wait about 20 minutes. It'll settle down and get to its normal size. And then you drink it. And it's kind of thick. In fact, it kind of has the thickness, the consistency of like a a jello that uh, maybe just started getting cold. It's not really, you know, dry and thick. It's just a very thick um, liquid. But right out of the plant, it's ready to drink once you grind it and, and release it from all of the fiber. Wow. I didn't know it was that easy. And it's just a neutral taste. So it's not anything horrible, but maybe not super sweet and delicious, <laughs> but it's yeah. drinkable. Wow. It depends on how much of the outer leaf got into it. A drop of the outer leaf into your pitcher, into your blender will make the whole batch bitter. It's not going to harm you. But if you really do a proper technique and then grind the, that filet and you don't have any of that outer leaf, I've heard people liken it to drinking from a garden hose. If you remember that from when we were kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it didn't really have a taste. There was something to it. But I thought that was probably the best analogy that I've ever heard regarding the flavor. Wow. Well, I'm going to try that. I mean, aloe is pretty readily available. Um, I'm out here in San Diego and I can find it pretty easily and I'm going to give it a try because I've never tried it just to to drink it um, only in the topical form. And also uh, people can find out about your products on your site. Where's the best place that we can send them so that they can check you out? Yes, Diane. And in that same sentence, I think we need to just ship some to you because we've already sourced the leaves. We've already hand filleted them, run them through grinders, put them in bottles and froze them to preserve them. So we can ship those to you. They're available on HaleyNutrition.com and anyone can find the different options. Some people are getting them in bottles. Some people are getting them in buckets. Don't get this for your skin this is for drinking and consuming. If you want it for your skin, uh, check out the aloe creams where it's the aloe vera emulsified in coconut oil. Oh, that sounds great. So I'm going to send people to your site. It's Haley, H-A-L-E-Y, HaleyNutrition.com, and they can check all that out. It's been so great to talk with you. You are just, uh, you're like a, a font of information a fountain of information. <laughs> I've learned a lot. And I'm sure all of our listeners here on Unity Online Radio have learned a lot as well. And I hope they all check out your site. So I really appreciate you joining me today, Dr. Michael Haley. I'm Diane Ray. And thanks for tuning in and joining me today here on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.